And we are live. Welcome to Staking Mondays, everyone. Staking Mondays is a weekly show to share knowledge from key staking industry leaders with our community. And of course, this is all powered by stakingrewards.com. At Staking Rewards, we are helping investors navigate the landscape of yield generating digital assets, helping them find the best opportunities to earn interest on crypto. This is season two, everyone. If you want to check out some of the past episodes, head on over to our YouTube at Staking Rewards. You can also find past episodes on Spotify. My name is Ken, and I'm here today with co-founder of Staking Rewards, Merkel Schmiedel, and we are delighted to welcome today's guests, some members of the Perpetual Protocol team. So we have with us today, Yenwen Feng and Nick Chong. Yenwen is the co-founder of Perpetual Protocol, a decentralized perpetual contract protocol for every asset made possible by a virtual automated market maker with an aim to create the world's best, most accessible, and most secure decentralized derivatives trading platform. Yenwen has over 17 years of various expertise and experience in the financial and tech industries, co-founding businesses like Cubby Inc. and Cinch Network. Yenwen also holds a MS degree in computer science from the National Chaochung University. And Nick is the head of strategy of Perpetual Protocol. So Nick began his career at the University of Sydney as a data analyst before moving on to other innovative uh, works in the financial sectors where he worked with Westpac, Incubate, Kenton Lime, and Lumi Finance. Nick also co-founded Adisi, where the team invented an award-winning watch that helps caretakers track if elderly people fall, and his mission is to utilize data to achieve rocket ship growth for companies. And these guys here have a, have a really cool announcement for us today that we're going to tease right now. We'll have that announcement released later in the episode, so stay tuned. So welcome to both our guests today. Uh, to Nick and to Yenwen. So just to start you guys off with a quick icebreaker, you can answer one at a time here. So which project first spiked your interest in this space outside of BTC and Ethereum? Um, yeah, uh, maybe I would go first. Um, so uh, I would say actually um, the um, the CryptoKitty. So I think, um, you know, uh, I used to build game like 10 years ago. So I you know like um, um, when like Facebook launched their social platform, you know, I, you know, we, we actually built like several games on top of it. I mean, we actually got some success on that. And, uh, you know, once we see like, you know, a new game on a different platform, I actually feel that it's really interesting and then really want to, I mean, like kind of like give you a try. Um, so I think that's actually what, I mean, CryptoGiggy is the project that actually drew me into crypto. Uh, for me, I would say uh, Balancer actually, I think, was the one that kind of got, got me into it and kickstarted everything. Um, it, was, it was just kind of around the time UniV2 had launched. Um, there was a lot of excitement around it, and Balancer just kind of seemed to make sense um, from my perspective. There was kind of liquidity mining that started, and then from, I guess, like governance um, started kicking in. and, and, and the really new kind of just having not experienced kind of this kind of style of governance before and participation that, that, that really drew me in and then kind of fell down the rabbit hole. Yeah. So really interesting perspective. there. kind of two different ends of the spectrum. One kind of uh, intro from a gaming aspect and one kind of intro from that uh, liquidity protocol aspect. So cool to know. Uh, and to start us right off. So obviously uh, perpetual protocol is a decentralized uh, exchange where you can uh, trade with leverage, but as centralized exchanges are gateways for many users into cryptocurrency for the first time. What do you believe is the tipping point where a new user 
will start to use and understand decentralized exchanges and even further start trading perpetual contracts? It's, um, I think uh, there's kind of two groups of users, I would say. There's um, the first group of users that we normally see um, is those that may have some form of um, finance background or, and, and as soon as they start, I guess, tinkering and seeing the level of composability that happens um, between various protocols, um, that's when they fall in love. They kind of um, drop everything and they kind of all in. So we've seen that quite a lot. Um, and then I guess with that, you then have engineers who, who just start plugging and playing everything together. And that's kind of where perpetuals is kind of a, a base block in terms of how can you leverage this with a different strategy and, and how do you kind of uh, gain alpha in that way. The other, the other side that we've seen is just people who are super interested um, in, in kind of trading uh, in general, and they kind of go through your regular kind of Bitcoin and then ETH, um, discover smart contracts, kind of do a bit of trading on kind of decentralized exchanges and then hop over when they may get locked out because of um, uh, the, the exchange cousin does, doesn't provide them anymore. They come through funds. Um, we've, I guess we've heard of a, a lot of these stories. Um, and then that's kind of when their interest starts. And then as soon as they start learning, then again, same thing with the rabbit hole and they kind of fall down that. Very cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And like, where, where do you see like looking into the next, uh, let's say, five years? Um, like, how, how do you see the market share between centralized and decentralized exchanges in general? Like, um, are decentralized exchanges going to take over the entire game, or like, will these like centralized exchanges become decentralized exchanges actually? Or like, wh what's your take on that? Um. I was, uh, I, I mean, it's just my guess, but uh, I would say maybe like essentially change took probably like 30% or 40% of the market. Uh, I mean, I found the end user point of, I mean, like a uh, point of view. So most of the end users still going to central change. I mean, maybe not the central change we see right now, maybe they go to you know, like um, the banks or like, uh, you know, the, the brokers that we actually use, I mean, like a day, uh, for lots of people day by day. Um, I, I would say DeFi projects might be, I mean, it'll be like uh, become the base layer of the financial system. So even only like 30% people can direct access to the DeFi projects, DeFi protocols, but uh, most of the centralized entity actually access those DeFi protocols and then they use the DeFi protocols. So it kind of like uh, create this layer so they can serve their customer much better than the DeFi project itself. But the uh, DeFi project actually bring more liquidity to the financial system. So that's actually what I believe. So less user, I mean, like directly asset the DeFi project, but the uh, DeFi protocols or projects actually have more liquidity than the central change. Yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic point you're making there, Yen Lin. Uh, basically, it, you could see a world in the future where both of these uh, centralized and decentralized exchanges work together, uh, but maybe the user using a centralized exchange may not know that uh, they're benefiting from some of the added liquidity that the DEXs help, are helping create. So yeah, definitely something cool to think about where, where this is going to be in five years. And for anyone watching right now in the audience, if you guys have questions uh, for, our, for our guest today, feel free to type away and we'll be sure to ask those community questions at the end of the episode here. 
Um, so getting back into some more general questions, uh, when trading with leverage, especially high leverage, there's this risk of liquidation, right? I know I'm very familiar with it. Uh, so do you believe that centralized perpetual trading exchanges could be manipulating local perp contract prices to trigger liquidation of their traders? Um, I, I think that's, um, I mean, I, I never worked for central exchange before, so I don't know that, but, uh, they, I mean, there is, you know, it's just like this possibility that they actually can control. I mean, they can control because everything is just a black box to everyone. I mean, to most of the traders. Um, so, and, um, sometimes it might not be like the, the change itself. Sometimes it's just like, you know, they are like huge market makers. They just want, because it, you know, they, they will do however they can to, you know, get some profit out. So they might do that. So, I mean, like, um, it, it, it's not really like, you know, we can blame the central change itself. It's just like, there are so many parties, like, uh, you know, like trading on there, but it, because it's a black box, so no one knows what happened. I think that's actually, I mean, like a DeFi system that can help. I mean, like, because everything is on chain, everything is transparent. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I don't know for sure, but uh, it's just like that possibility actually kind of scary, I think. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. And sometimes you just feel like it's, it, it might be happening <laughs> if you're trading. <laughs> um, but in the end of the day, like who, who knows? And it's probably impossible for anyone to really find out, except there's some insiders um, talking about it, I guess. Um, the, the more important it is, I think we have uh, decentralized exchanges um, like, like yours as well, uh, where it's kind of impossible to, to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And so like talking about like uh, the decentralized and decentralized exchanges, um, what do you think are the, the main uh, differentiators and like different kind of risk profiles for, for someone to like choose to either trade on like a centralized or a decentralized, like what are the different types of risks there? I mean, you're from a risk perspective, I guess you're, you're trusting, um, in the centralized, you're trusting kind of the centralized entity, right? Like you're trusting and you're hoping that kind of either A, the government doesn't kind of come and shut down and then and then you can't get your funds out or or B, they they don't shut down and, and kind of go under and, and, and you lose your funds. I guess the, the counterpoint to that is kind of, you're then trusting the smart contracts from a decentralized perspective is kind of written properly, it's written well, it's audited, um, it's probably not gonna get hacked and it's gonna do what it, what it does. So I guess th those, are, those are probably the two kind of biggest risks, I would say, um, between the two. Um, and then I guess uh, apart from that, I would say the the kind of your keys, kind of your your funds, um, as kind of a lot of people I guess say in, in industry. Um, but I would say yeah, those are, those are probably the biggest two I can think of. Okay, and talking about um, how will you be able to provide? an equally or better UX compared to centralized exchanges. I know many users will go to centralized exchanges because of how easy they are to use. And I know definitely in the early days of DEXs when we had uh, the Ether Deltas, the Fork Deltas, those were not very friendly UX, right? So, so how will we be able to provide an equally or better UX compared to these popular centralized exchanges? 
Um, that's a great question. I I think that um, um, I would say it's. I mean, it's probably. I mean, like it probably takes some time for us to really reach that century change, kind of like um, uh, kind of a UI UX. I think one of the reasons is that um, for all decentralized app, we actually want everyone to. I mean, control your key. You know, your your asset, your key, but. This is actually really hard. I mean, like, uh, you know, the key, I mean, the key phase, I mean, how, 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 I mean, do you want to get how or not? I mean, there are lots of actually, I mean, like, I mean, like a question that uh, a, a new user will ask, I mean, when they onboard to a DeFi system. I, I do feel that uh, he really takes, I mean, some time to, I mean, like, uh, maybe like some other people can, I mean, create a better wallet to, I mean, like, uh, store the key or, like, to kind of like, spread the key, like, uh, within, like, different parties, and then you can withdraw. I mean, like, uh, there are lots of people working on that. Uh, but uh, once we have that, I think we actually, I mean, like, uh, there are, like, um, some UX issue on the DeFi system, I mean, on, on blockchain itself as well, like, uh, the part time, I mean, it's a little bit slow. But uh, I do believe that the definitely will change. I mean, like the new layer to the new layer one chain. Uh, so that's happening right now. So I do feel that these two parts, I mean, once we can improve these two parts, actually it, it will kind of like have the, almost the same like usability, like central change. Yeah, so I, I would say it just like take time, so probably a year or two, but we will actually, I mean, like uh, uh, almost there. I mean, like, um, you know, when I first use like um, MetaMask, I mean, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I, I would say it's just really hard. And that's actually the only choice I have at that time. I mean, like if I want to access a DeFi app, but right now you have so many choice, people are working on different wallets. So yeah, definitely better. Yeah, and that's I, amazing. Yeah. On, the, the Nick, you want to add something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the only thing I wanted to add is kind of there's also a very interesting and, and because of the composability element that we that we believe in, um, there's a design space that's opening up, which means that retail very broadly defined, like normally, normally in crypto, like, I mean, most people come in and they start with kind of the speculation and then they go uh, then kind of deep into the tech. Um, but the only real way they can speculate right now and kind of earn, earn is kind of either um, is, is basically trade and kind of speculate on tokens. But if you think about the way that DeFi is going and the pace of innovation that we're having through composability, it'll get to a point where us as a protocol, we don't necessarily have to have the best UX um, to attract kind of retail users to come in and trade, right? Like we, we fully expect in the future that a large chunk is going to come from maybe two, three levels up where an app is using another app, using another project that then kind of does interacts with kind of perp. Um, and I think the power between that means that the end retail user doesn't doesn't need to know that they're kind of using a perp, but they are through the product that they're kind of using or the, the structured product or whatever it is, um, they're actually trading perps. And, and so I think that's a really interesting kind of paradigm shift where we don't necessarily have to compare DeFi apps user experience to kind of centralized as well. Um, there's a there's a different kind of way that we can approach it as well. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And it could even mean that like uh, some bigger exchanges might actually use like the benefits of 
decentralized exchanges as the underlying backend kind of for for their centralized exchanges or any, anything alike really i guess hmm. yeah no that's that's fascinating um and then like another topic um i wanted to talk about this uh about mev um like what, what are your thoughts in general on mev and like how like is there anything you could do to protect users from uh, MEV in general? Um, and what's your stance as a team to, towards MEV? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. So I think, uh, so for us, we don't deal with the MEV right now. I'm, um, one of the question, one of, of things that uh, uh, we, we don't, one of the reasons we don't do that is because we're running on layer two, I mean, roll up. So most of the roll up, they have, I think, um, I mean, like only like a one, like a um, sequencer. So you actually um, kind of like, uh, there's no other ways you can actually track ME found there. Uh, but once they actually have like, uh, you know, a network of sequencer, uh, I mean, they, there is definitely MEV can be tracked. But uh, I think the the chain is working on that. I mean, both Abichang and Abinson, they have they also like talk about this how they are going to solve this. And uh, from our point of view, I you know we currently we don't have a good, I mean, way to really solve this. I mean, we are more like uh, uh, I mean the mechanism we have right now is more like Uniswap. So I do feel that it's just like if you want to be I mean like more permissionless. I mean, you will, I mean, like, I mean, like Uniswap, I mean, like, a, you know, anyone can access that, anyone can see, I mean, uh, the, how the transaction goes, and then the MEV will happen. So I would say just like, very hard to solve the, the problem, but uh, we definitely, I mean, like, want to work with the layer two, I mean, providers, and then try to figure out like how we can do this. Yeah. Yeah, and that's good that you have that, you know, on the top of your mind there. It's it seems like a you know a problem that's a hot topic in in the industry re recently. Just this the MEV minor extractable value. Um, so now mm -hmm. getting into some of your competition. Uh, so how do you compare or compete with the likes of others like like a DYDX? Are there any other on chain competitors that you feel are in that category? And what is unique about Perp Exchange that sets you apart from those others? I, yeah, there's, there's, we get asked this quite a lot, actually. Um, there's, there's a lot of different kind of uh, ways that you can kind of take a look at it. I guess the, the first is kind of um, the DYDX team, they're doing a fantastic job of kind of what, what, what they're kind of aiming for. And I would say, um, fundamentally, we've taken two quite different paths, if you think about it. One is... Uh, from their perspective, they are basically decentralizing FTX, right? Like they're taking, they've, they've taken the settlement layer um, and they've kind of decentralized that. They've still got a centralized order book, um, but they're in the process of kind of decentralizing that. Um, and, and so they're building it that way. But I guess the, the path that we've taken is we've explicitly taken a, let's build uh, something that's very, very highly composable with a lot of other protocols. Um, and we've, all, we've almost kind of approached it in a way of, 
um, we position ourselves as kind of like a base layer. So there's probably about, uh, I think there's about eight to 10 kind of projects that are, that are actively building on top of PERP. There's probably another kind of 10, 15 that are kind of investigating. Um, and we really kind of want to build an ecosystem around us because um, there's so many different kind of uh, areas within the design space um, that you can do now with, with kind of everyone on the same chain that there are things that, people will start building that you just won't even think of. And, and we think that kind of that area is super, super interesting. So I would say, um, firstly, that's kind of the, the first area. The second area, I think, is the design that we've taken is quite deliberate. So um, in, in kind of, uh, if you look at the progression of what we did, like we first kind of pioneered the, the VAMM, which, which meant like you didn't need kind of uh, liquidity. But then in kind of V2, we actually ditched that idea completely um, and went with kind of a Uniswap V3 model. Um, it was quite painful, but we, but we did it. And, and, and the reason for that was, was quite deliberate. Um, we found that kind of, it, it takes the, the nicest characteristics of kind of both the kind of central limit order book world um, or the order books that you kind of see on centralized exchanges. And it also takes kind of the, the really nice characteristics um, of the AMMs um, versus there's kind of uh, a lot of other kind of AMMs in market, but the problem with that is that um, a lot of the time your formula or your curve, I guess, is fixed, um, which means that kind of if someone wants to build on top of you, normally they have something that they want to express in terms of a strategy. So they, they think they have alpha, they, they want to kind of express it in some way, but if, if, if your curve is effectively fixed, um, you can't express it, or, or at least your expression is quite limited in, in what you can do. Um, and by introducing V3, it was kind of like introducing an order book, um, but then keeping the characteristics of an AMM. So um, those are kind of probably the two comparisons that I'd have. One is with kind of the central limit order book kind of style competitors. And the second one is probably with, with kind of our AMM competitors. Very cool. Um... And then, so like, um, what, what are your considerations to like bid on other blockchains? Um, so, um, like, do you have plans to uh, expand to like uh, any other blockchains in general? And like, yeah, what are your thoughts on it? And um, why did you choose like your your current setup as it is? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So, uh, right now the per V1, a perpetual perk of V1, we, uh, it's running on Sky. So it's, uh, we, I mean, we kind of like a, one of the first like uh, financial project, DeFi projects running on Sky. It has been like working well, like for, I think almost a year. So really cool. I mean, like a cool chain, but uh, for our V2, we actually, I mean, work, I mean, like uh, try to work on other, I mean, layer two projects. I mean, um, I mean, or with other layer two uh, chains because uh, we actually want to access more uh, DeFi, I mean, projects, um, I mean, um, on, on other like, layer two chains. So we are actually deploying on Optimism, I mean, for our first like deployment for the Perp V2. And uh, we also like uh, looking at like Arbitrum and also um, uh, other like layer one, like Polygon. One of the constraints we have is that the per V2 is actually built on top of Uniswap V3. So because Uniswap V3 only deploy on Optimism and uh, Arbitrum, so that's the chain we have to go, I mean, right now. 
but uh, there is a new vote that uh, is actually ongoing that uh, they will they probably will deploy on Polygon. So yeah, if they deploy, we definitely will be there. So in the future, we do want to be like uh, you know on the place that uh, where like Uniswap v3 has deployed, and then we just want to access more user. I mean on that uh, I mean, on different chains as well. Yeah, great insight. So we can basically follow along what Uniswap v3 is doing to kind of foreshadow where Perp is going, right? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we're, yeah, we're getting, yeah, cool. And we're getting some great questions from the audience here. Uh, I already see two quality questions we can save for later, but if anyone else has anything, feel free to ask now. And now's the time of the episode. We're going to get into an exciting announcement. You guys have uh, some really groundbreaking news you want to release to us today. You kind of already talked about it a little during the previous answers, but why don't you go ahead and uh, make that announcement now? Um, sure. So, um, I mean, like, uh, we have like announced that we are working on this like um, perpetual protocol V two for a while. I mean, we we first announced it like um, in June. So, I think it already be been like you know four or five months. I mean, after we announced, and then we have been like. Uh, you know, through like, uh, you know, internal cascading, like a public uh, cascade trading complication. We have like uh, so many events we have been through actually four, I mean, audit, I mean, until now. So uh, I have been working on this like uh, for quite a long time. And uh, I mean, I really like excited to say that uh, we are going to launch it actually this week. So, I mean, like it's, uh, I, I mean, I kind of like uh, really excited because Finally, I mean, it's really, I mean, kind of like everyone on the team, like put like 100% of effort into this project. And uh, we do feel that they actually solve a lot of problems. I mean, either on like our V1 or like um, compared to like most of the the perpetual um, uh, contract like projects on the market right now, you actually have an age that you have a lot of freedom to I mean, provide clarity, you have a lot of freedom to trade. I mean, it's just like, uh, we, we do believe that it's the next level, I mean, like product. So really excited to announce it that, uh, yeah, we are going to launch it this week. Let's go, V2. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for it. Let's go, guys, V2. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that's awesome. Let's, let's keep an eye out for that and uh, more news coming this week, guys. So all the audience, stay tuned. Get ready to access V2. Um, so now getting into more questions focusing around perp.exchange. So on, mm -hmm. on the exchange currently, most assets are available to tra uh, trade between 1x and 10x leverage. What's the logic be behind those limits? And will we ever see an increase in leverage to say 100x and beyond? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. So we actually, I mean, it's, 10x is actually really conservative number. From what we can do, especially we have been like running B one for a while. We know like how, I mean, how the liquidation really work in the real world environment. So we actually have one vote trying to increase that. So, but actually the community doesn't want that vote. So we want to increase from ten to twenty, but it actually got rejected mm. because I mean a lot. I mean, like some community member they afraid that uh, you know you actually kind of like. Um, and people might get wrecked because of this, because they see that it's higher average, it's just like, uh, you know, all in. So a lot of people 
I mean, our community expressed that concern so that uh, we don't do that. So it's actually tennis. I think most of the community members, they feel it's fine. We might have another vote in the future trying to increase it. But uh, I mean, just like uh, it's a decision from the community. So if they want to pass, you know, have that, then we will definitely happy to do that. But uh, right now, I think people are happy with CanX. That's cool. Yeah, I think uh, a, a lot of people are waiting for it. Um, cool. Um, and then, like, uh, talking a little bit about staking, um, like, what kind of role does staking the, the perp tokens, uh, like, play in your ecosystem? And um, also, like, how is that going to change and evolve over time? Like, um, are you working on any other, like, uh, staking models or, like, um, where 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 do you see that like in the coming years um yeah staking as part of the the protocol there's yeah there's a there's there's a lot of that kind of plays in with with the staking piece the currently at least for v1 um we use it as kind of uh there there is kind of rewards for stakers currently so stakers currently act as the backstop and um what that means is um, we have a liquidation fund um, and the liquidation kind of, uh, sorry, the insurance fund, the insurance fund is there in the case where we can't liquidate things uh, fast enough and we have to kind of repay uh, bad debt. So very similar to kind of uh, almost identical, I believe, to centralized exchanges. Um, what happens in the case where the insurance fund kind of goes to zero is that uh, the stakers effectively get slashed. Um, uh, sorry, currently more tokens are printed um, and so the stakers have kind of a risk because their tokens are locked in for seven days. Um, to compensate for that risk, uh, we have um, based, there's basically kind of uh, rewards in kind for PERP um, that are paid to these stakers. In the future, there's a couple of things that is going to happen with this. So I guess in the shorter term, there is um, a lot of kind of reward programs that are coming out that will require some form of staking. Um, to kind of unlock various uh, various levels, um, that's kind of the first thing. And then I guess from a from a tokenomics perspective, um, this is kind of still being worked on, so it's not the final one. But one big area that we're very very uh, bullish on is kind of the private markets. Um, and and private markets for us is uh, think Uniswap, but kind of I guess for perpetual markets, which is anyone can kind of launch a set of markets. Um, without having to go through some form of governance vote. So you look at everyone that kind of um, is in the decentralized space doing perpetuals right now, it has to go through some form of governance vote um, for a very good reason, which is that um, if you just launch any old kind of dog token um, and that goes to zero, your insurance fund kind of gets impacted. And so there's kind of a risk uh, uh, element here that you kind of have to figure out. Private markets is quite neat in that you can uh, isolate that insurance fund um, and we kind of expect uh, in the future, private market DAOs um, will be interested in kind of launching, running um, these kind of markets. Um, now, what they'll do effectively is they'll take the staked perp that they have and they will stake it again into this private market. So they act as the backstop for the public market as well as the private market. Um, so there's additional risk. Um, to kind of compensate for that additional risk, we basically give them a larger portion of the fees that are generated from that private market. So if you think about uh, from a staker perspective, your risk in the kind of the next version 
is going to look like um, if I stake and if the insurance fund goes to zero, then I have probably have similar to an Aave model is what we're thinking where you might have a percentage of your per uh, slashed um, and burned and then kind of repaid to, to repay that debt. Um, to compensate, you receive kind of a percentage of the uh, public market fees. Um, and then further, if you then stake that into private markets or start a private market, you then get another uh, uh, fee income stream from that private market as well. So um, those are probably the, the key ones. And then obviously in the shorter term, the, the rewards piece, um, there's a couple of rewards programs basically that are coming out that require stake per. Yeah, it seems like a lot of really uh, various risk and rewards available for the different staking types that are uh, that you just outlined there. And really interesting to hear about the insurance fund and the different slashing that could happen to the stake perp um, when the insurance plan, uh, fund gets depleted. Uh, we would love to you know, display some of the staking type and the staking information for perp on staking rewards. So I'm sure we'll, we'll have a conversation after this. Um, but getting back into it here. So uh, looking on the, the site here, perp.exchange, I see that you guys are sort of advertising zero gas deposits. Can you just tell me a little bit from a layman's perspective, what is that exactly? Oh, that's a great question. So it's a feature that uh, we actually pay the gas for you if you want to. So but, uh, if you want to deposit, I mean, like um, your USDC into our, into our system. Uh, like I mentioned before, um, the exchange is actually running on SDI. So it's kind of like a caution operation that uh, you want to deposit funds from ETH to sky so we actually pay that fee for you so if you if you want to deposit if you want to give you a try give purple a try you know you want to deposit 100 usdc it's actually gas free so you just like click down that button like uh filling the i mean the i mean how much usdc you want to deposit and then click on deposit and then you actually uh zero gas to, to do that so we use like make up transaction to do that so you pay nothing that's amazing. Uh, such a great feature, I think. Um, people appreciate that. So, um, like, w w in general, like, w what is your big vision for uh, for Perpetual Protocol and, like, um, how would it look like in the next five years? Maybe you can uh, talk a little bit about the, the mission and, like, the, the big picture. What are you trying to achieve over the next years here? I I would say there's kind of... If we, if we started kind of the reason why we started PERP, I guess, there's kind of two, there's two areas. The first is kind of uh, accessibility. So just kind of coming from, from kind of TradFi, I guess, um, a lot of products are kind of, quote unquote, only for sophisticated kind of uh, investors and sophisticated just basically means how much money you have. Um, and so accessibility was, was around kind of how do we make these products kind of more like just so anyone can kind of access them. And then the second thing that kind of came with that is, is kind of simplicity. So how do we have products or how do we have an ecosystem or how do we create something that at the end of the day is quite simple for an end user to use? Again, a lot of these kind of financial products um, that I kind of gated, I guess, are very, very complex. Um, and it's usually kind of geared against you. So by combining these two, um, we were really thinking about how do we how do we allow anyone and everyone to kind of have access. And so uh, you can see it in, in kind of the strategy that we've done. One is from like a product design um, 
how do we make things as simple as possible? How do we kind of um, think about the UX in terms of uh, the interactions that a user has? And how do we kind of build a really, really good product in that, uh, in that way? And then the second thing, which I guess we're doubling down on, is the composability piece I talked about before. So how do we create a product where anyone will kind of build on top? And effectively, I think in the future, um, this is my guess, and this is kind of my personal guess. Like, I suspect that um, maybe you'll have you'll see a very, very large amount of volume that will utilize Perp, but the end user doesn't actually know. So it might be some form of structured products or some really, really nice structured products. Maybe it's a CD5 thing that, that we were kind of alluding to before. Um, we really don't know just because there's kind of no precedence uh, here, but um, we're, we're very heavily invested in, in, in kind of this piece. And so I think in the long term, if we see more and more builders kind of building on top of Perp uh, and the ecosystem and that kind of uh, volume kind of growing, um, that's kind of where, where I'd love to see kind of uh, things go in the future. Yeah, and that seems to be the theme I keep hearing from both you, Nick, and, and Yenwen, that you're interested to have other projects build on top of Perp. And you think that's where the main use case and the main liquidity draw will come from down the line. So really cool perspective. I've never really heard that uh, coming from an exchange before. So let's keep an eye on that space. Um, so last question here regarding Perp, and then we're going to move into the community questions before we wrap. Um, so this is just basically a team question. So how is your team currently structured? Are you going to be entirely decentralized as a company? Is that even desirable? You know, desirable? And should there always be, you know, a person in uh, that someone could contact, like a support contact? Is that exist? Yeah, that's actually a great question. So, um, so our team, we actually have like around thirty people right now. So, more, uh, I think twenty of them are engineers. Um, we, I mean, like, um, um, we start, um, okay, okay. So, I mean, oh, we have like, a, I mean, so for the 30 people, I mean, we actually have like people from the community and also like, uh, you know, the people we recruit, I mean, like uh, mostly engineers and uh, actually Nick is actually someone from the community. So, I mean, like we met in our early days and then Nick is really patient about this. And then we just like work together so I mean, like, uh, so he actually kind of like joined the team, but, but I mean, like, we do have like, several people like coming from the community. Um, us for the kind of like, um, you know, kind of like, um, if, if if someone want to ask a question, who are going to 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 kind of like uh, answer that? We we do have like one person that's working on the community, but uh, we are, but uh, he actually kind of like we actually kind of have this set up that. Uh, they are like uh, people from the community that they actually join our, I mean, kind of like Discord. And then we have a group of people. They, I mean, like they actually help the, I mean, the either new user onboard them or like they answer the questions. And uh, we have a uh, kind of like um, not a large amount, just like the amount of like per token that uh, I think every month, I mean, to just like reward the work. So it's just kind of like a cold group of the, the, the com, I mean, community user who want to actually help out others. And then, you know, they can actually go to this place and then they kind of like help others. And then they actually, we use a kind of like a, an app called uh, Code And uh, that app actually can kind of like, um, you can actually vote on others like contributions. 
So they actually just work that way. I mean, like they, they can vote on each other and then, I mean, create some incentive for them to help others. But uh, I think that's uh, just, I mean, we want to be like more like, um, not really decentralized, we just welcome like the community to join. I mean, join these projects and then, you know, either they build it, either, either they actually help others. So that's just like the, the way we want to go. That's right. I, I do think. I, I was I was just going to add. I do think like decentralization. There's still kind of no blueprint of kind of how you do it and what's the best way. And 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 I guess the way we think about it is, there's almost two opposing sides, right? Like you can decentralize, but then your speed of kind of shipping and speed of innovation kind of crawls to zero. And on the other extreme spectrum, you're fully centralized and you can go as fast as you want. And I guess the 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 way the the state that we're currently at, we're experimenting with kind of ways of how we decentralize. So we have um, we have a grants committee that's kind of fully run by the community right now um, that has kind of approved um, a budget from kind of the DAO treasury. Uh, we're in the process of spinning up another two, three of these kind of sub DAOs, I guess. Um, so the, the, the idea is to kind of constantly experiment and see how we can improve and grow the community and decentralize. Um, whilst trying not to sacrifice that speed as much as possible. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and as you said, like there's, there's no perfect solution for decentralization and it is a, a, a process over time anyway. Um, uh, so yeah, sounds really good. And uh, we are ready to move to some of the community questions, I think. Um, Thanks for putting all the questions down. If you still have any questions, uh, drop them now. Um, so the first question is from uh, AOW95. I believe that's uh, Alan. Uh, and uh, his question is like, the only reason I use sex is to uh, withdraw fiat to my bank account. Any on-ramp or off-ramps for fiat that you are considering? So are you working on fiat on-ramps or off-ramps in general? um that's a good question uh we are not working on th that right now so i mean um i think most of our focus is on to build the uh, v 2 right now so uh but i mean that being said we we know that it's actually an important thing to us so we actually want to work with uh, some other partners i mean we talked to some of them before but uh, we don't really nail down like uh, you know which one we want to work with so i think after per v2 we'll definitely i mean like um talk to these like uh fiat on ram partners again and then try to figure out that what's the best way for us to provide this feature to the community yeah yeah something that we could uh maybe see an update down the line on and the next community question is from now, uh, Jin Cheng, uh do you think amm is important to win the decentralized perpetual market um that's a good question so uh okay so it's uh personally i think that uh, it's really important i mean um i mean it's just like um uh it, it's just my personal view but uh it's really hard to beat i mean i like, to if you want to win over like central change by providing a better audiobook because i mean audiobook you need like really fast like like excusing time 
I mean, even if we have like a new solutions, you know, new chains that the you know you can process like several thousand like transaction per second. I mean, even if we have that, it cannot compare with what FTX or Binance can process per second. It's just like you know, it's just a huge gap. I don't really think that. I mean, it's just against the rule. I mean, like if you want to have a decentralized system, you, I mean. It's just something you have to give out. I mean, the speed, the, the bandwidth. So I do feel that uh, if if we want to, I mean, win the centralized, I mean, like a, I mean, like a, or like a perpetual market. I do feel that uh, the AMN is really important. I mean, like a, it will not be the audio book. It will be the AMN that, uh, I mean, can be like a decentralized, like while we have the system. I mean, trust us, permission us, this kind of system that we have now, but still, I mean, can scale. Yeah. Well, thank you for that answer there. And uh, thank you for all the insights that you guys have shared with us today. Again, we have with us Yenwen and Nick from Perpetual Protocol. And if you guys could just give us briefly some areas where people can go to follow you and find more about what you're working on. Sure, sure. So, uh, so our website is at perp.fi, uh, P-R-P.fi or perp.com. Yeah, so that works. And uh, we have like our exchange, I mean, perp.exchange. So you can go, I mean, just go and check it out. If you have any questions, I mean, like we have the Discord or Telegram group link, I mean, on, on our website. So definitely welcome you to, I mean, like um, go there and ask any questions. Our community definitely will help you. Awesome. We'll be sure to head over there and ask our questions, join the Discord, and join the Telegram. Well, thank you for watching, everyone. Be sure to check out our previous episodes of Staking Mondays, and be sure to read our SR20 index, which was recently released. You can go on over to stakingrewards.com. In the top header, just click on SR20. You can find out all the information there. So please like and subscribe to our channel. From Mirko, I am Ken. As always, happy staking. This episode was sponsored by P-State, a liquid staking solution for the Cosmos ecosystem and beyond. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thank you. With P-Stake, users can stake assets like Atom through the P-Stake protocol to gain staking rewards. P-Stake users also receive a wrapped asset, which represents the underlying staked asset. These derivative tokens can be used on Ethereum-based DeFi platforms with support for more networks in the future. So users can maximize their yield by providing liquidity on DEXs. They can also be used as collateral for loans and much more, in addition to receiving staking rewards for the underlying asset. Why choose between staking rewards and DeFi opportunities when you can have both with P-Stake.